So here are some of the biggest questions when it comes to content marketing. Why does the content that gets tons of likes and comments does not make more money than the one with a few likes? And why do some influencers with more than 10,000 followers are still broke while the ones with a few hundreds only make a fortune? And how come the content that is so good still cannot make people buy while the simplest one can? Well today, people are obsessed with the number of followers, likes and comments whenever they put on a content. And the truth is, those things are what makes people broke. So how do these successful marketers create content that generates money? Those are the questions and on this podcast, you'll find the answers. I'm your host, Ashraf, and you're listening to Content Marketing Hacks. What is up everyone? My name is Ashraf. Now the topic for this episode is how to bring your story to life and have customers to buy from you. And today's guest is Vince Warnock. He's an author, marketing and visibility coach and the host of the Chasing the Insight podcast. All right. What is up, Vince? Welcome to the Content Marketing Hacks podcast. So glad to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm just so relieved to be, we were talking beforehand, I've just got over the flu. It wasn't COVID, it was a nasty flu, but now I'm back to health and I'm on your show. I don't think those two are coincidental. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I can feel it. I can feel the spirit from you. So, okay. Tell us a bit about your background. How did you get started with this? I mean, you've, you've yeah. been doing this for 20 years, you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, technically over 20, but I just stopped counting at 20 because it made me feel very old. But um, okay. yeah, look, man, I, I've had a, quite a varied career, actually. I've kind of been in and out of both entrepreneurship and corporate life and, and even had a stint as a, a radio announcer on one of our top radio stations here for a number of years. But I, I'd, I'd created and, and I was going to say created and sold. Early days, I created and failed quite a few companies um, and would go back to corporate and then created and sold and started to get the successes and learn from all the mistakes that I made. And I had just come off the back of selling um, my largest corporate, uh, largest startup rather, which was Common Ledger. So that was a multi eight figure exit after, after three and a half very stressful and very anxiety driven uh, years. It was a crazy journey. But it was worthwhile in the end, uh, and I left that to join the team at Cigna Insurance and become the chief marketing officer there. So for five years at Cigna, uh, it technically on paper was the dream job. Like seriously, the pay was ludicrous. It was awesome. Um, but also I got to work on some really exciting projects. I uh, got to travel the world, talk in conferences all over the world, which is one of my happy places. Uh, published my first book when I was there uh, and got a huge amount of results as well. Like managed to d- take all the online marketing from practically nothing to almost half of the revenue of the organization, uh, which is phenomenal for a Fortune 100 company. So that got recognition, uh, both internally and externally, won a lot of awards, uh, and then got recognized by Adobe as one of the top 50 marketers in the world. So I'm sitting there in my office. I had the, I have to say this, the second largest office, the CEO had the largest office, but I had the second largest office in our building. I'm sitting there looking out at this amazing view. I'm writing down all these accomplishments, writing down all the reasons why that job was so amazing. And I was absolutely miserable. Um, I remember sitting there thinking, I am so unfulfilled. I feel so unhappy with this job. And then I felt really, really guilty about that as well, because uh, that was a job that most uh, marketers, particularly here in New Zealand, certainly in this part of the world, most marketers would would kill for. Like it was an incredible job and I didn't want it. Um, I just felt so unfulfilled. So Made the easiest hard decision of my life, man. I decided to pack it all in uh, just before COVID hits. So it was like December 2019. Said to the CEO, that's it. I need to move on. I'm going to become a full-time author. Um, and my my goal was to try and impact as many entrepreneurs as possible. And I thought if I write my new book, it's going to help a lot of people. So that's going to be great. So I left in January 2020, started writing that book, uh, got about a weekend and realized that was a dumb idea. I'm ADHD. You can't just focus on one thing at the same time as when you're ADHD. That's nuts. So um, mm-hmm. so that morphed into writing multiple books at the same time, launching my podcast, and then accidentally finding myself helping people to to market their business and to get visible, which is where the coaching piece came in. So, so that, And that's kind of led me to where I am now, which is basically the most fulfilled I think I've ever been in my life. Like being able to help this many entrepreneurs to to grow their business, to get visible, to get seen, um, to be thought leaders in the industry has just been an amazing blessing. So, and now, of course, it all accumulates for being on your show. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Wow. Okay, that's a that's a long journey. Okay, so you went from ra radio DJ to now a coach. Okay. Yep. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. And what was your first book? You said you did you authored. Uh, first book before? was called Chasing the Insights. It's the the same name ah. as my podcast and that. Um, it really was. I had kind of three reasons to write the book. Um, so one of them was the success I was getting in my startups, the success I was getting in corporate. Um, drew the attention of a lot of people. And particularly when I was at Cigna, a large amount of the Cigna markets from around the world were all like, hey, we, we want to know more about how you're doing all this, Vince. We really want to know your methodology. So can you book an hour with us each week? And mm -hmm. when you start adding up all the different people that wanted an hour each week, it was more than a full-time job. So I thought, rather than give up my time and just teach them, how about I write a book and then they can all buy it and I'll make money from it? Huh, no brainer. So that was one of my motivations. The other one was because um, a good friend of mine had an agency, uh, advertising agency here in, in New Zealand, and he was heading off to New York and he was going to set up a new agency there and set up this new startup. And he met me for a beer and to say bye and all this. And he said, oh, before I go, I forgot to tell you, I'm a published author now. And I went, what? I'm like, I lost my mind. I'm like, this is awesome, man. I need to get my hands on the copy. And he goes, oh. I wouldn't bother. It's rubbish. And I thought he, I thought he was being a typical Kiwi, typical New Zealander, basically just trying to downplay his work. And I said, you can't say that about your book. And he goes, no, no, I can, because it was a social experiment. He said, I have this theory mm -hmm. that people take you more seriously when you're a published author. And I said, so yeah. how did that work out? And he goes, unbelievable. He said, you'll be surprised how many doors it opens. And I was like, okay. So that made me want to do the book even more. And then the last motivation was I used to work with an angry Canadian woman um and she was an author she'd written a number of books and one day she just lost it because uh all the universities and you know and like um cit and all those kind of places were asking for me to go around them and and train them on marketing train them on digital marketing and i thought oh that's cool and we were in a leadership meeting and, and they said oh yeah and everyone wants vince to go around to another road show and do another conference and all this and she was like why are they always asking for vince he's not an author he wouldn't make an author's a-hole and i went hey i'm right oh next to you and B, challenge accepted. <laughs> so uh, I will neither confirm nor, nor deny, Ashraf, that I um, took a copy of my book and sent it to her and signed it from the author's a-hole. That's <laughs> so, very childish. Uh, but it was a good oh, motivation. I'm very competitive. I don't like being told I can't do something. That makes me want to do it even more. So I actually really do. I am very grateful for the meltdown that she had at that particular time. <laughs> wow. You, you, you are the, you, you like to challenge yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you mentioned earlier that you felt miserable and all that. So what, yeah. what was your biggest failure uh, in your journey and how did you how did you overcome that? Biggest failure in my journey. Now, I, look, to be clear, I've had a number of failures when it comes to companies. Um, some of my yeah. early companies, I had uh, it was the wrong time in market. You know, I missed the opportunity or it was too early for some markets or I misread a situation. Um, I created a mobile app um, that pitted iPhone users against Android users. And you basically like it's it's kind of like a game of risk. You would take your city or your, your country and that for your particular platform. And started mm -hmm. working on that. So excited about it. Validated market. Did everything except for the one thing I probably should have done early on was actually talk to Apple uh, because Apple do not like being compared to anyone. So they basically said any carrier, which was our main kind of um, sponsors and things, any carrier, mobile carrier or any mobile phone people, um, if they promote our game, they would lose the right to actually have iPhones in their shops, which, of course, is a big part of their revenue. So so that kind of basically squashed the company and it was like, oh, well, so there's a lot of those kind of mistakes and I learned from every single one. So I wouldn't say that they're catastrophes at all. Like every mistake I've had has helped to contribute to where I am now. But I think mm -hmm. the biggest recurring mistake that happens is, um, so I suffer from ADHD. So I yeah. deal with this all the time. Uh, I, my attention is always grabbed by other creative projects or other creative things. And I find it difficult to complete some projects and things. So I've always got processes and systems. But one of the challenges I have is with ADHD often comes a thing called RSD, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And what that means is um, I, a, a large portion of my emotional self is taken trying to please other people. And from that, a lot of self-doubt kicks in. Imposter syndrome screams at me all the time. And there have been many, many opportunities in my life where I've missed out on things because 
Um, I, I don't, I just want to fit in. I don't want to stand out above everybody else, but that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. Plus I'm worried that if I do, I will be rejected by people. That's where the RSD comes in. So I hold back and I don't press forward. Um, so that's probably the biggest, um, the biggest probably uh, mistakes I've made have always been around that kind of decision process of going, well, maybe I don't do that. Maybe I hold off from that. And then I look and see that opportunity would have been phenomenal. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can relate to that, but I I never deal I have never deal with someone with ADHD before. So how did you? So you mentioned that the way you overcome it is through H. What was that again? Oh, systems <laughs> that, and that processes. Word? Yeah, yeah. Um, part of part of the thing with with ADHD ah, okay. is ADHD is often talked about as a disorder. So it's often talked about as something that is negative, something that is wrong with you. But the reality is when you when you have ADHD and you start to understand it a lot more, it really is just a different way of thinking. So for me, I operate in creative energy all the time. So I get really excited. Like if someone comes to me with a challenge, I love to think outside the square, to think of different kind of approaches. I love to look at creative solutions to it. I feel energized. I feel alive. And often those are the things that pull my attention away. Whereas things that are monotonous, things that are repetitive, I find very, very difficult. So I've had to recognize that about myself and put in place systems and processes um, to be able to cope with that. So for example, I outsource a lot of the more repetitive tasks in my business, or I put in place um, accountability partners where I know if there's something that I have to do every single day, um, I've got an app here connected to uh, a pile of other entrepreneurs where we hold, out, hold each other to account. So they can check in on me, literally check in on me and see if I've done these tasks. And if I haven't, I get a lot of messages of people going, come on, Vince, come on, man, stop looking at the shiny objects, stop getting all distracted, focus on those tasks. So they call me to account with it. Wow. Okay. All right. So I, okay, that's, this is the first time I know about ADHD. Oh, <laughs> actually, wow. this yep. is the first time I, actually, this is the first time someone explained it to me. So, okay. Now I get, now I understand how they feel. Yeah. So it's like it's like a lot of thoughts coming in at you at once. Yep. Is that yeah. right? Okay. You, re you really struggle to pay attention sometimes and things like that as well. So uh, some of the things you'll notice with people with ADHD, um, they often sing out loud without realizing they're doing it or they hum to themselves without realizing they're oh. doing it. Or if they're sitting in a meeting often, and I do this all the time, I'll sit there with a pen and I'll either fiddle, like, you know, twirl the pen around, or I'll be drawing. And I doodle a lot of the times in my notebooks. And it mm. seems like you're distracted, but actually what you're doing is you're, it's helping you to focus on what you're supposed to be paying attention to. So unfortunately, it, it, when, it, like when I was a child, it, wasn't, it basically wasn't invented. They didn't have a name for it. So they didn't know how to treat it. I was just a really distracted boy. Um, whereas nowadays, um, they, put, they medicate it. So they put people on Ritalin and a number of other drugs that actually help them to focus. Now, the problem with that is it's not a disorder. It's not something that should be medicated unless it is really severely detrimental to your learning or detrimental to your health. What should be happening mm -hmm. is teaching people to cope with these things, teaching them how to think different or how to understand it so that they can put in place their own checks and balances. I see. I see. All right. All right, Vince. Uh, I'm sure you have a lot of stories that you would like to share about ADHD and the journey since, you know, you... You are probably you probably have done a lot by now, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, as I mentioned in the intro, we are going to talk about stories, how to bring stories to life, and as your as you name it, the beats method, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah. for, first off, I want to know what what is beat method. <laughs> well, beats method <laughs> came from uh, working with one of my clients actually very early on, and. Um, one of the things I realized is the power of storytelling. Storytelling is incredibly powerful because, in fact, if you if you look at it, scientists have, have actually mapped the human brain. Like, they actually map what's happening with the neurons firing. And if I'm telling you a story, Ashraf, I will say, you know, blah, 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 and I'll be talking about the different beats of the story, the, you know, the ups, the downs, all these kind of things. What they've discovered is the brain patterns that I have telling the story are mimicked in your brain, which means there's this thing they call a neural coupling that happens when you tell a story. When you're telling a story to someone else, they feel the same emotions as you. They feel the same uh, journey that you're going on. So they share in that experience with you. And I realized that was an incredibly powerful way to connect with potential customers. Um, so I was working with one of my clients and he works in video production. He does like advertising, um, does documentaries, all those kind of things. And I remember sitting down going, look, I looked at all his marketing. It was so bland. It was all just, you know, 
here's what we can work on and here's the price or here's some of our previous projects. There was no personality to it. So I said to him, you need to bring your story through into what you do. And he goes, okay. And I said, that's going to connect with the audience. So I asked him why he does what he does. And I said, why do you do video production work? And he goes, oh, because I make good money. And I went, oh, no, that's not what I mean. And I said, why do you like working on the things that you like working on? And he goes, oh, because I love mm. creating good quality work. And then I realized he didn't actually understand his own story. And for a lot of entrepreneurs, that happens. Like you look at your business and you don't feel that personality in the business because you've never taken the time to understand why you're really motivated to do it. So what I did was I came up with this, this concept called the Beats Method. And essentially what it was is we mapped out his life, his journey, particularly in, in his career. We mapped that out and we call those beats. So every single bullet point essentially of his life is those beats. Um, so first of all, I, I said to him, like, what's your earliest memory of video or, or a film or, you know, any kind, any kind of on-screen thing? And he lit up. He just goes, oh, my goodness. I remember when I was young, my dad used to take me and my brother to go and see Lethal Weapon and Die Hard and all these movies that I was too young to see, but he used to sneak us into the cinema. And then afterwards, we'd go out and we'd get a milkshake and we'd be sitting there and we'd like talk about the movie and we're all so excited. And I just felt so much closer to my dad and to my brother. And I said, okay, um, so essentially you found the power of movies to bring people together. And he goes, yeah, definitely. And then he, he went on another beat of his was he traveled overseas. He went over to um, a lot of you know, different nations like Peru and, and Argentina and places that um, other people, particularly the remoter areas where other people don't get to. And he got to meet a lot of people on those journeys. And one of the things he discovered is these people have such rich stories they have such rich experiences, but most people will never, ever get to hear that story because they don't travel, they don't go to these places, they don't talk to these people. So that for him was another moment where he realized there were all these stories in the world that need to be told. So we mapped out all of these. We went on further of his journey, worked in the film sensors office. He, he did uh, wedding videos. We understood the power of emotion and videos and things like that as well. So he had all these different things that were happening. So we mapped them all out. And then what we did was we said, okay, if these are all your beats, what are your atomic beats? And what these are, these are basically pivotal moments in your journey. So these are the things that happened there where you learned something or something shifted in you. So we mapped it out and we said, right, this beat here, like for example, going to Peru, that beat, mm -hmm. what, what, what did you learn at that point? I, he learned that stories, there were all these stories that need to be told. What shifted in you? And it was his perception towards uh, all these different cultures and things. So we mapped out all these atomic beats, these important ones. And then we looked at what his epiphany beat was. And his epiphany beat is the moment where basically everything shifted. That was the moment he started the new business. That was the moment he realized that he was really, really passionate about that. Um, so we kind of put these together. And what I taught him was this method where you basically have these beats, you have all the atomic beats, you have the epiphany beat, and you can move in and out based on the different lessons that you learned along the way. Um, so for example, one of the lessons he might've learned was um, how to bring emotion into video. And another lesson he might have learned was the fact that everybody's story matters. So depending on what he was talking about, if he got up on a stage at a conference or a summit, or if he got on a podcast, he could talk about any mm -hmm. of those topics and look back at all the different beats, all the different examples he has from his own life and bring those to life in that journey. So, so he got really excited. We mapped this whole thing out. And, and this is where I, was, I knew I was onto something really big with this because he went home to his wife and he was practicing his origin story, essentially looking at how he got to where he is. And his mm. wife is a psychologist. So she overanalyzes everything he does. And wow. he said to her, he goes, right, I want you to sit down, pour her a wine. He said, right, I'm going to tell you my story. And she's going, duh, I know your story. I know you. But he told her <laughs> the story based on the beats method. And he called me up and he said, dude, I said, what? And he goes, you're not going to believe this. My wife is crying. He goes in happy tears. He said, I realized I'm actually inspirational, which I thought was hilarious, but it made him realize that his story mattered. It made him realize that there was some power behind his shared experiences and power behind the things that he had learned through his career. And I think for entrepreneurs, that is incredibly powerful. So that's why I came up with this method. Uh, I take most of my clients through this as well. I help them to craft their origin story, help them to craft their brand story, help them to understand why they exist and why their business exists. And when you do that, it's incredibly powerful. The other thing that happens mm -hmm. through this, um, Ashraf, is the fact that you're telling personal stories, the fact that your brand is based around your own experiences and things does another thing, as well as the neural coupling, which is really important. It also does something else. 
when you're talking with someone and they're making a decision to deal with you, like they're making a decision to buy your products, your offerings, your services, whatever that is, there are three kind of core parts of the brain or three kind of core functions of the brain that are activated. The first of these, uh, and these are not in any particular order, but you have the, the neocortex, right? This is the logical part of the brain. This is where most entrepreneurs base their marketing. So they look at the, the benefits, the features, the value adds, all the different things you're going to get, the pricing point, all the logical reasons why someone would buy your product, your service, or your offering. But then there's the other part of the brain that actually makes the real decision, and that's called the limbic system. So the limbic is your emotional brain. So this is the part of the brain that looks at, um, you know, if you're I'm wanting to buy, say I was going to buy your services, Ashraf, I would look at what does that say about me? What, what is that connection I have to you there? So those are the two parts of the brain that actually make the decision. But there is a third part of the brain involved in this process, and that is the reptilian brain. That is the part mm -hmm. of the brain that is looking at you, analyzing, you know, you're, you know, when they're talking to you, analyzing you, and trying to work out if there's anything they should be worried about. This is the defensive part of the brain that's trying to protect you. And what happens is, you know, often we deal with that with things like social proof. We deal with it with, um, you know, testimonies and things like that. But when you're telling stories, and when you're telling the Beats Method stories, and you're bringing your own personal experiences into that, what happens to the listener is the reptilian part of their brain looks at this and says, hang on, I'm not needed here. I don't need to protect this person from anything because this must be a safe space. And it must be a safe space because you're sharing vulnerability with me. You are sharing something that makes you vulnerable. So therefore you feel safe. So now I feel safe. So the reptilian part of the brain just goes off in the corner and sits in fetal position, reads a book. I don't know. It's, just, it's no longer involved in the equation. And that's really powerful when you're trying to build a connection with your prospective audience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think I, I heard that this concept somewhere. I think it's from the book uh, Pitch Anything. Is that right? Yes. Have you, have you yeah, read that yeah, book? That definitely covers it off. It's, it's basically the, the principles behind neuromarketing. So you'll yeah. see that in there. Donald Miller talks about it a lot. I talk about it a lot. There's a number of number of people that look at the, the neuroscience behind why we make decisions and how we how we connect with other people. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting that you apply this into stories because the yeah. book is uh, is talking about how to pitch, but now you yeah. implement that concept through stories, which is cool. Yeah. So Vince, uh, one of the purpose is for, for the beats method is to connect the, the emotional side of brain to the to the stories right mm -hmm. and that's why uh, your your friend's wife is crying because yeah. she heard the story right yeah. so that's why do you, you call it bits because you want to connect the emotions yeah and also okay. because the, the like the way i think of the beats is um every story is different like if i if i'm talking on your podcast about this and then i go and talk on someone else's podcast or i get on a stage i can tell you now it's going to be different right and i flow uh -huh. with the audience i flow with the different environment itself uh, and we might be talking about a specific aspect of storytelling and somewhere else I might talk about a different aspect. But for each of these, it's like playing a melody. It's like creating a song. And what I want to do mm -hmm. with that song is I want to pull from the different kind of beats that are in there. And from each of those different beats that you pull, that'll be a different song. So, for example, for myself, um, I just talked about three kind of core concepts when it comes to um, storytelling. I talked about the beats method. I talked about neuromarketing or the neuroscience behind marketing. And I talked about vulnerability. Now, those are three topics that I can talk about individually. I can talk, I can do a whole, uh, in fact, I have done a whole conference one time talking about vulnerability and sharing vulnerability and what that does and some of the science behind that. But if I'm talking about vulnerability, I'll pull on the beats that involve vulnerability. I'll share a story about myself, um, about how uh, I spoke at a conference. Uh, in fact, this was a really funny story, but I, I spoke at a conference years ago where I was going to be speaking on stage with my heroes. So they had... Um, so Ken Robinson, who's one of the greatest public speakers I've ever heard, uh, they had uh, Michael T. Jones from Google and, and another guy. And we were the four kind of keynotes for that conference. And I was like, well, obviously, I'm not going to be anywhere near as good as these people. Like, the, these are the you know, examples of perfect public speaking. And here I am, just this up and comer. And something happened before I went on stage. So about five minutes before I went on stage, I got a phone call from one of my sisters. And I've got five sisters and a brother. And one of my sisters called me up. And this was a woman who, uh, like, she's incredible. I love my sister to bits. She thought she could never have children. And of all my sisters, she was the mum. She was the one that mothered us when we were kids. She was just a natural-born mum. 
but she thought she could never have children and she was in this uh she's married to this wonderful guy and i get this phone call five minutes before i go on stage and she is in tears and i thought something had gone terribly wrong but then i realized she was she was kind of laughing and crying at the same time and she said to me i'm pregnant i'm pregnant i'm going to have a baby and it's looking healthy and that blew me away i cried and i cried i shared this emotion with my sister i'm like i cannot believe it like i'm so happy for her but then i got the call vince you're on and i had to step out on stage and i realized my eyes were puffy because i was crying non-stop trying to wipe my eyes and i was standing there in front of you know i think it was about it was only about a thousand people but standing in front of these oh. thousand people and realized hang on i've completely forgotten about what i'm supposed to be talking on oh so God. what i did was instead of trying to push through that instead of trying to remember and look at the cues and try and figure out what i was supposed to be saying i addressed the elephant in the room and i shared a vulnerability with them all and i just said to them mm -hmm. look um, if i look a bit disheveled there's a very good reason for that i'm incredibly happy right now i've just been like i just had a phone call from my sister who thought she would never be able to have a child and she's pregnant and this is just one of the greatest days of my life and so now i'm here in front of all of you and i can't even remember what i'm supposed to be speaking on but we're going to get there okay and everyone kind of laughed and then i realized there were some people crying as well and there were just people sharing in that moment that i had there so then it all came flooding back and i did the presentation and and the response from everyone was really really good now afterwards wow. um the conference has a rating system so each of the guests uh each of the attendees rather would rate the speakers there and i'm very competitive so i'm like oh oh can't wait to see it i came first <laughs> equal with sir ken robinson and that was not because I was a great public speaker. It wasn't because my topic was better than his, because there was no way that was possible. It was because mm -hmm. people felt a connection with me, what we call a pseudo-social connection. They felt this connection with me because I shared this personal experience with all of them. So see, that's something I would pull, that story I just shared there is something I would pull out of the Beats Method when I'm talking about vulnerability or when I'm talking about, <laughs> I'm talking about my sister getting pregnant, you know, like any of these things, I can pull that out and bring that into my melody, bring that into my song and paint the picture with that. So, so that's where the concept of the beats came from. It was really about playing these different rhythms and playing these different melodies based on all these things that were in your life. Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. That's, that's cool. So um, one thing that I still don't, um, you know, one thing that most, people don't get about vulnerability did i yep. say that right <laughs> yep <laughs> okay uh, about that word okay uh is they don't know which which story to tell in order yep. to show they are vulnerable <laughs> oh my gosh i'm struggling to say that word <laughs> you know what? you're doing well man i love this yeah. okay okay you're yeah the, so you're right and and this is something that we do address within the beats method so so one of the things we do is when you've mapped out the beats, and, and by the way, for anyone that wants to do this at home, anybody wants to do this themselves, I will just give you a quick warning around it, and not a warning in a bad, bad way. But one of the things that happens is when you're listing out all the beats, all the things that you've gone through in your journey to get where you are now, just be aware that often you can be very vulnerable in yourself like this because you're, you're dealing with past scars, you're dealing, dealing with past traumas. So having someone that you can talk to about this is really, really important. But what you do is you see so you map out all these beats and what we do we have these columns on there so we talk about right here is the beat this is what happened um this is what i learned at that moment then there's another column this is what changed at that moment then there's another column am i comfortable sharing this and for a lot of people some of those beats in their story they're not comfortable sharing for a very good reason because the scars are still too fresh or the wounds will be too difficult to talk about um, particularly with a lot of the, a lot of the entrepreneurs I deal with and a lot of the ones I take through the Beats Method have come through abusive um, relationships or abusive backgrounds. Even myself, I grew up in an abusive household. Um, so actually addressing some of those things in the story and putting those in the Beats, you don't want to share that publicly, uh, particularly if you're trying to protect other people. But then the other thing I look at in there is, you know, like I said, what are the topics that you can relate this to? So, for example, like with that vulnerability, that one story that I shared for me is a really good way to articulate the power of vulnerability. I've got about 30 different stories I can share on vulnerability, but that particular one is the one that I will pull out when I'm talking about that, that topic. Um, the other thing that can happen though is also with some of those beats, it's not necessarily that you're not comfortable sharing it, but it might not be right for a specific audience. And so for me, for example, when I'm talking about my past, I'm talking about abuse, um, I can talk generally about that. I'm, I'm comfortable saying, hey, I grew up in an abusive household. If I'm in a conference or I'm in a, a summit or on a podcast, 
talking about abuse itself. I will go into more detail around that. Whereas for most people, it's no point me sharing that. It's just going to make them emotional for the sake of emotional. But then there are aspects of my my abuse and the aspects of the background where I don't share it with people because they can't handle it. And I found this out the hard way, Ashraf, where um, one of my old colleagues I worked with, uh, one day she was going on about, she was just having a bit of a rant and talking about how, oh, people would never understand the trauma I go through. My brother came home drunk the other day and I was like, oh my goodness, how old's your brother? Thinking, what, is he like 10? Is he nine? Like, you know, a kid coming home drunk, that must be pretty young for that to be a big deal. And it turned out he was like 28 or something. And I'm like, why is this a big deal? And she goes, oh, it's just so stressful and people don't understand. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I said, yeah, I know what you mean. And I started sharing aspects of my childhood. I started sharing about some of the things that happened with the abuse going, yeah, well, when I went through this and when this situation happened, and then I looked at her and realized she had gone green. Like she could not cope with what I shared because for her, a 28 year old brother coming home was the most devastating, uh, coming home drunk was the most devastating thing she'd ever dealt with. And I'm thinking, I'm now sharing things about, you know, getting my hair set on fire or getting shot with a 22 or all these kind of things. And she can't get her head around these scenarios. So, so you've got to be cautious about your audience. You've got to read your audience. You've got to read uh, the topics that you're talking about there and pull from the right beats to bring that to life. Yeah. All right. So when we, you know, you, you mentioned about uh, bringing stories to life, right? So when you talk yeah. about being story, bringing stories to life, how do we make sure that it's, it feels? Sorry, can you repeat that one? That cut out on me. Oh, okay. So um, when you mentioned about story, bringing stories to life, how, how do we make yeah. sure that it's, it feels alive? Oh, right. Okay. Well, the key thing is looking at what the story itself, like stories themselves, are. they bring things to life, right? Stories are, like I said, they're the shared connection you have with people. But you got to look at, are they adding value or detracting from a situation? And a good example of this was um, a guy who was speaking at a conference I went to. He was talking about hope, right, which is an important mm -hmm. topic. And for a lot of people, it's something, particularly in the world right now, by the way, it's something that is dramatically missing. A lot of people feel like they have no hope. Um, you know, we're, we're coming out the back of lockdowns here in New Zealand. 70% uh, of businesses in one of our regions are shutting down. So for a lot of those business owners and entrepreneurs, there is very little hope there. So this is a topic that's incredibly important. And when you listen to the speaker, and he missed a massive opportunity, when I listened to him talking about hope, he spent two-thirds of that presentation talking about the dramatic stuff he went through as a child, talking about his heroin addiction, talking about um, suicide attempts, talking about losing all of his loved ones. And he painted such a bleak picture over two-thirds of that presentation. And then at the end, he got to the point where he's like, and now, basically, I've come out of all of this and there's hope and blah, blah, blah. But what happened there was that entire presentation was so unbalanced that people felt the negativity more than the sense of hope at the end. Whereas mm -hmm. if he had glossed over some of the stuff that he went through, if he had spent maybe a quarter of the presentation talking about what it was like growing up with no hope, and then to talk about, like, spend maybe half of it talking about what it was like to finally realize what hope looked like and bring his own personal stories into that, and then give them that sense of hope at the end. That would have been more powerful and connected with this audience even deeper. So it really is looking at, in fact, one of, one of the things I do is whatever presentation I'm putting together, whether it's podcast, whether it's a summit, a conference, a masterclass, whatever, I always start with three things. I say to myself, what do I want them at the end of this, whatever it is, at the end of this podcast, what do I want them to think? What do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? And if you can nail that right from the word go, then you structure your presentation around those three things. So for example, if I want them to feel a sense of hope and I want them to think that, um, that they can do it, that they can be empowered to do this themselves, that it's actually not as hard as they thought, and I want them to take action on this, then the majority of my presentation is going to be focused around those things rather than the backstory, which just gives context to those topics. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, um, Vince, uh, another thing about vulnerability. <laughs> okay. Nice. I, I will, yeah. I will practice, uh, saying that word after this. <laughs> you love it. Okay. So, uh, another thing about that is, uh, I think to make it work is to tell the success story after that. Uh, I, I, I remember my mentor said, do not share the scars, but share yep. the 
uh, do not share the wounds but share the scars yeah that's right is that right yep, yeah that's exactly it yeah 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 so, and it's it's uh, they're dead right it, it is a case of not sharing the wounds sharing the scars and that's why like i said you know when you go through the beats method there are some things in there that are too fresh that are too open wound that you really shouldn't be sharing but the key thing for me is it's not sharing something sad sad can be part of that but it's how you structure that so for example um one of the one of the stories i i tell which was a very uh kind of pivotal moment for me um so this was a, a bully that i had for years uh, when i was age 11. uh well, for a couple of years i had this bully at school and now I, now my life was a bit of a wreck so i had a bully at home i had the abusive home i had a bully at school so yeah. uh, when i got to age 12 the end of age 12 we were going off to uh, high school and when we were going off to high school i realized he was going to a different high school for me so i'm like yes this is awesome now see in that story i've only told you a little bit about what the bully did i focused only a little bit on the fact that this was a horrible tormented kind of situation for me but then there was this hope he went to another school so i went off to my mm -hmm. high school he went off to his uh, I was kind of sick of being um, a victim. I was sick of people being able to push me around and bully me and things. So I decided to learn martial arts. Uh, I learned boxing. I learned kickboxing. I learned uh, Chinese Kung Fu. I spent many years doing that. Uh, then I got to age 17, so four years on from there. And I was competent-ish. I'm certainly not Bruce Lee. I certainly you know, wouldn't go into a situation relatively confident, but I knew I could defend myself, which was the main thing. Uh, and then at age 17, my last year of high school, he got transferred back to my school. And I was like, okay, well, this is, this is awkward, but this is also going to be one of the best days of my life because I've seen every 80s movie. I've seen all those situations where the, the underdog comes out on top, the bully gets his comeuppance. It was like, this is going to be fantastic. I'm finally going to get my revenge on this guy and I'm going to be you know, vindicated. It's going to be amazing. And he wanders past me one day and I was like, okay. So he wanders past and I yelled his name and a couple of expletives as you do. He turned around in his usual fashion, struts over to me and took a swing. And I moved out the way. And he took another swing and I moved out the way again. And I'm like, ha, 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 nice try. Wow. Uh, he took a few swings and then that was it. It was my moment. I lashed out and I decked him and he went out like a light. He went down, he hit the ground and I'm standing there going, ha. And yet on the inside, I felt terrible. I'm like, I thought this was going to be an amazing moment, but I'm not feeling amazing at all. In fact, I'm Wait, feeling very you, like like something's not quite right. So you, I found myself you dodged. What's that? Should dodge? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, you dodge it. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, not quite Matrix styles. He wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but anyway, <laughs> but I managed to avoid the punches. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, knocked him out, and I ended up in the principal's office, as you do. Now, I don't share oh. those aspects to share sadness. I share those aspects so people go on the journey with me. And this is the key thing: mm -hmm. it's not about sharing something that's sad it's sharing something that they can understand and they can feel so then i'm in the principal's office and the principal said to me you know do you know why he got transferred to school and i'm trying to be this staunch you know 17 year old i'm like i don't care i don't care and he goes well you probably should care vince and i went why and he goes well and he started to tell me about this guy's background he explained that this guy um, had a very abusive father who used to beat him his sister and his mother pretty much every day since he was a toddler and what had happened was the dad had beat the mother so badly in front of the two children recently that she actually passed away. So the dad had actually murdered the mum. Now, the dad had gone off to jail, as he should and as does happen, and the kids got transferred to an auntie and uncle's place, which was near our school. So I'm standing there in this moment, and I share that so that people feel what I felt in that moment, which is I suddenly realized I'm not the good guy in this story. I'm actually the bad guy in this story. And the principal looked at me and he said, look, Vince, I didn't expect you to know any of that, but I would have thought of all the people that would possibly have understood what he was going through and all the people that could have been there for him, you would have been the one. And that's when I realized I had the opportunity to help somebody, but I didn't. I chose my own selfish needs first. I chose to feel vindicated. I chose that I was going to, you know, you know, reenact all those 80s movies which by the way those 80s movies lied to us all don't believe 80s movies everyone they're all <laughs> lies like forget revenge of the nerds they don't come out on top it's terrible anyway so so yeah so i, I suddenly in that moment it came to the realization that i really need to understand why people behave the way that they do i need to actually take a moment to try and understand what's behind the, the action what's behind the behavior rather than just look at my own tiny little slice of the world 
So you see, with everything I shared in that story, Ashraf, it was really to help people to feel what I felt in those moments so that they can come to the same conclusion I do. And when I've, when I've shared that story at conferences before, I actually watch the faces of people and you see them when I get to the point where I'm like, this is going to be the greatest moment. I'm moving out of the way from the punches and all of this. You see them smiling, going, yes, yes, he's going to get him. He's going to get him. And then bam, I knocked him out. And they almost go, yeah, like you can see that look of joy on their face until they realized the same lesson that I realized in that moment, that that wasn't yeah. the thing to do, that I should have understood more about him. So by sharing that story, I'm not doing that to make people sad. I'm doing that to emphasize what we should understand, which is that we should be really curious about each other and we should understand why people behave the way they do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, if you bully the bully, yep. does that make you the good guy? Because no, you're because still you say, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you said you're a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was a, honestly, for somebody, you know, when I, like I've been a Star Wars fan and a comic book fan since I was a little kid, right? I saw Star Wars when it first came out. I was seven years old. Um, and it was the greatest day of my life, just saying. Um, so, but, uh, but whenever I look at Star Wars, I was always the, the side of the force. I was always the Jedi. I was never the Sith. I was never on the bad side. With comic books, I was always the hero, not the villain. You know, I loved the concept that somebody could do something really powerful for somebody else, that someone could do self-sacrifice. So to be in a situation where I realized I was the opposite of that, that was a huge eye-opener for me. That was definitely, you know, when we're talking about uh, the Beats method, that was definitely an epiphany beat. That was the moment where I realized I needed to change. So that's been an important thing in my life um, since then. Like, I deeply understand people. Um, I give people so much grace. Um, I have one client who didn't pay me for six months. Um, I'm not advising anyone sign with me, by the way, and not do not pay me. <laughs> but, but, but I knew their situation. And I understood why they were struggling with these things. So my goal was to help get them out of that. And when I did, not only did they pay me and pay me everything back, but they also recommended so many different people to me. They became one of my biggest lead sources because they knew that I understood them. They knew that I didn't just judge them based on their action, which is that they couldn't afford to pay me. Instead, I judged them based on the on the situation that they were in uh, and gave them the grace that they needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what I like about you, Vince, is that uh, every time I ask questions, you always tell stories and I love <laughs> everything yeah. about your stories. So you you really know how to tell the stories, right? You know yep. which detail to put. So I'm kind of curious, which how, how do you choose which detail to put in the stories? Like, do, do um, we have to yeah. put every detail? No, no, definitely or, not. I, I, I start with that think, feel, do, and I work backwards from there. So I go, okay, if I want them to feel a specific thing, then I know there are certain beats of that uh, beats of that story that I can bring to life. But there might be, like, for example, with vulnerability, there might be, you know, 20 different things I can share on vulnerability, but that would take, you know, five hours. So what I yeah. do is I go, what would be the thing that really drives home what I'm trying to get them to think or feel or do in this? And I pick that. And then the other thing I do is I test it. I just try different things. I see what resonates with audiences and see what doesn't. And sometimes some of my stories, um, they don't resonate very well at all. Um, and, and other stories really resonate quite deeply. The other thing I found is, by the way, I was on like 100 podcasts last year alone, um, wow. plus multiple different summits and things like that as well. I love public speaking. It's just one of my happy places. So mm. by doing that, you often have to repeat stories over and over again. And this is going to come as a surprise to some people. Those stories become boring to you. Like I get bored with my own stories. So I look at other beats that I can bring to life, other stories or other aspects of my past that will help to emphasize what it is I'm trying to teach. Mm. So do you uh, do you take novel as a story? I mean, do you do you use novel as a reference to make stories? Um, Have you yeah. uh, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, so um, novels. Kind of, yeah. So if we look, if we look at novels, we look at stories. There are different myth, uh, different storytelling uh, modalities that people use. Like so for example, there is the hero's journey, right? So we yeah. all know the hero's journey because if you've seen Star Wars, if you've seen you know most superhero movies, they pretty much follow the superhero's journey. So that is somebody who thinks their life is okay or they're in the situation, um, they suddenly have everything stripped away from them. There's usually a loss and those kind of things, and they need to step into the new selves. They need to find uh, their own power. There's often a Yoda or a Mr. Miyagi type person there that guides them along part of the way, and then they're left to their own devices and they have to come out on top. So it's kind of a hero's journey. I did a poor job of explaining that. 
but then there's other method uh, met, uh, other modalities that we can use as well so hero's journey is one that i will sometimes use then there is one called in media's res which is where and you see this in really good action movies by the way it always starts with someone going uh, they walk into the room and suddenly all the guns are trained on them and you realize uh oh they're gonna die and then they go so how did i get in this mess and then suddenly it rewinds like you know six weeks or whatever and goes through their journey so it starts in the middle and then goes back to the beginning and then when you get up to that point that's when you now reveal that you know the last part of the story so so all of these are different ways of storytelling and i play around with those depending on the audience depending on how much i want to emphasize a certain point and i'll give you a good example yeah. of this one of my one of my clients she's amazing um she didn't realize that she had all this unforgiveness in her and, and she runs a thing called the forgiveness project so she had got to a point in her life where um you know things weren't quite going well and she tells this story but she uses the in media's res and i love the way she told the story she starts by going okay there i was standing in the kitchen emptying the dishwasher looking at my husband who's sitting on the couch after he just got home doing nothing and i was so angry i'm like how dare you leave all this to me and she goes and that's when I, and she talks a little bit about that and then she explains you know so to get to this point i have to go back six months and she talked about the experience she had gone through uh with basically uh, she was in a cult like there was this horrible situation that she had to get out of and she realized she was holding all this resentment so she got back to that point in the kitchen like told all of her backstory got yeah, back to the point in the kitchen and then she goes so there i am standing there going how dare you to my husband and yet i realized it was nothing to do with him it was nothing that i needed to forgive him for i needed to forgive myself for what i've gone through i needed to forgive all of them that the reason i was taking it out on him is because i was hurting so badly so she started at the point and when you get to that point you're thinking oh how's she going to get out of this situation you know how she's really angry with her husband is she going to leave him is she going to beat him up what what's going to happen in this story but you get to that point and you realize that all the lessons she learned along the way had now come to that revelation that it's nothing to do with him it was everything to do with pain and trauma that she was holding so so you can just play around with those kind of storytelling methods you can play around with do i start in the middle do i start at the beginning um, but you've got to think about where you want to take them at the end of the story. So you, if you work backwards from there, that's the easiest way to structure it. Mm -hmm. All right. So work backwards. All right. That's a key takeaway. Uh, all right. And what is the key element that you always put in? You broke up on me there. There we go. Cool. What was that? So you said, what is the key element? Yeah, uh, so I was talking about uh, what was the key element that you put in the stories that maybe make it uh, sales worthy? Ah, okay. Um, the key thing for me is always that epiphany beat. Um, so that's all because in every story, there should be a moment where things shift or change. That's the purpose of the story, essentially. So when I shared those stories before, it was usually a learning or it's something that I had to come to the conclusion of. And if you include that within your story and, and you should have it in every single story then that's the moment where there's an action that happens so for example when i learned that i need to be curious about people that made me change and the reason that beat that that epiphany beat is there and the reason that we've got that in this in every single story is because that's the action that you now want the listener to take as well so that's where the sales part of if it's a sales conversation for example that's where the sales part of it will come in a good example of that, I, I do a lot of work around helping people become authors and things like that. So I'll do an entire presentation on the fact that your story matters. The fact that actually you had to come to the conclusion that I had to come to at some point, which is that every part of your life, every beat essentially in your life has actually made you into who you are now. And not just the good bits, not just the inspirational bits, but the bad bits and the ugly bits as well. The traumas, the scars, all of the things that you've had to go through have actually shaped you into who you are now. And that's really important because you are in very inherently unique. Every single person is a combination of their personality, of the lessons they've learned, of the input that people have put into, into them, and all of those experiences and scars and, and all the things that they've gone through as well. And there's no two people that have an exact same experience or the exact same scars. So therefore, we should be grateful for all of that. And the reason I teach that to people is because then we get to the point where I go, and that was when I learned that my story actually mattered. I realized that I had been shaped into this individual that I am. And because of my unique mix of experiences and scars and challenges and obstacles and all those kind of things, I get to help other people through their experiences and scars. 
So by doing that, by teaching people this and having that epiphany beaten there, which is the moment I realized that everything I've gone through counts for something, then the conclusion of that is simply your story matters and we need to bring your story to life. And that's when the sales pitch is really easy because I say to people, well, the best way to do that is to put it into a book and I help them mm -hmm. to bring their book to life and get them to be a best-selling author. So, so that's where, what I would include in every single story is that epiphany moment, that moment where things shifted or changed for you because that's the shift and the change you want in the audience as well. Yeah. Okay. So you put the struggle and then the epiphany and then the success, right? That's so the one. three yep. key elements. All right. That's one. So mm -hmm. um, what story that doesn't sell that maybe your clients did, or maybe, you know, you, you see in online world. So yeah. So what, what, what does, why, why some story doesn't work? I think some stories don't work because um, people are afraid to share the vulnerable aspect of it. So, and you hear this a lot with bro marketers. Like, I can't stand bro marketers. They're the ones that's all about, you know, 10x your results, buy your Lamborghini, buy the private jet, <laughs> get the hot girlfriend, all these kind of things. And I'm like, guys, there is far more important things in life than all of that all that stuff that you just talked about. There are far more fulfilling things. And all of you are really unhappy. But anyway, so, so a lot of them will share the successes only. They'll get up there and they go, you know, I was building this business. Then I realized, here's what I want to do. And bam, everything changed. And suddenly it was a massive success. And I'm like, oh. And they're telling these stories from this positive mentality. But the problem with that is the audience aren't feeling that. The audience are seeing all the obstacles. The audience, are, like all of us, are insecure, are fearful, are all these kind of mix of emotions. So when you get up there and you're saying, yeah, everything's wonderful and it was awesome and I kick ass and I'm so good. And if you buy my methodology, you're going to feel good as well. That's all well and good. But the person sitting there going, yeah, but I'm not the same as you. I feel afraid or I feel these hurts or I feel these pains. So not sharing vulnerability is usually the biggest mistake I see in stories and why they don't sell. Mm, all right. So, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say that word. <laughs> okay. Vulnerability. Love it. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm going to practice saying that after this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, all right. Um, so how do you have some uh, story swipe file that you pull out every time you go on into a podcast or, um, presentation uh i a lot, a lot of my clients do um but for me i you know i tell stories all the time as you've heard you know every time we come up with a question i'll tell a story to answer that question uh to really yeah. drive home the example so i've got very well versed in that so i don't have swipe files anymore or anything but i have them mentally i have kind of stories i can draw on you know um where i do use a swipe file is if i and it's usually just a trello board for me that has all of my beats mapped out um, is if I'm doing like a really short presentation, like a five-minute presentation where it's got to be punchy or a 15-minute presentation where it's got to be really punchy and really effective, then what I'll do is I make sure I go to the swipe file to pick the right story that's going to be able to be delivered in that time frame and be able to have the same impact as one of the longer stories I would normally tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so one thing that I'm still curious about is what if someone doesn't have a racks to reach story? I mean, someone that live a normal life, right? So yep. they just, they don't have some uh, poverty lifestyle stories. So yep. how do you go about that? Well, the thing is, it doesn't matter if you've come from poverty or not. What matters is what you've grown up in. Because you, you've got to realize that, and I realize this, not everybody is going to resonate with me. And I'm okay with that. I never used to be okay with that. Having RSD, which is rejection sensitivity dysphoria, means that you really want people to like you, you know? But the reality is I know there's a whole pile of people that aren't going to resonate with my story. It's not for them. But the same with you. If you haven't gone through poverty, if you've just grown up in a really stable household, there will still be beats that made you get to where you are now. There will be still things that made you realize I didn't actually enjoy corporate life, so I created my own business. And this is why I didn't, create, I didn't enjoy corporate life. And that what you share in those moments, that vulnerability that you show, just in the, the fact that you just didn't enjoy it, it's going to resonate with those people that are sitting in corporate life going, I want to do the same as you. I want to start my own business. You totally get me. You totally understand me. So never be afraid to share your story at all. It doesn't have to be rags to riches. It can be riches to riches. It can be riches to rags. It can be anything there. As long as people that you're trying to target will share in those experiences and share in the emotions of that as well. Uh -huh. So, all right. The key element here is to uh, share where... Uh, find someone who start the same journey as you and then yep. and then yeah. share that story from there. Yeah, okay. exactly. So, yeah. 
Oh, cool. So what, what is one trick that you learn about storytelling story that sells? Um, one trick I've learned is, uh, oh, that's actually a really good question. Dr drilling that down to one, one thing I've learned is going to be really, really tricky. <laughs> no. um, I think one of the things I've learned is uh, not to be afraid to try different stories and try different aspects of that as well. And, and just always try and read the, particularly if you're doing a sales conversation or a presentation to a small group of people, when you're sharing the story, I'm watching their eyes at every single point. I'm flitting between the eyes of each of the different people. Because what I'm trying to tell here is what, because you can see a hesitation in people's eyes. And for example, as I said earlier, if I talk about the abuse that I grew up with, and I talk about, you know, my dad setting my hair on fire, for example. If I share that, I can usually see the eyes shut off really quickly. Because for them, they can't comprehend what that's like. So therefore, I've lost them within the story. So watch people's reactions as you share the stories. Watch their reactions as you get to the epiphany beat uh, and the epiphany moment. See what they do. Like, see if they've got a big smile on their face at that point, you know you've captured them. So just use those kind of audience reactions. Test it with as many people as possible. And the key thing is just continually tell stories. Even if you're just doing it at home and talking to your cat, my cat thinks I'm mad. Like, honestly, every morning, because I get up at three, like two or three every morning, and the rest of the family don't get up to about six. So for three hours, my cat puts up with me telling him stories all the time. He just looks at me like, dude, I don't understand English. You're oh. an idiot. <laughs> oh my gosh, poor the cat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Vince, I think we are close to an end here. So, what's the one thing people can do today after listening to this episode? I think the one thing they can do is to, uh, well, I, I want them to do two things, actually. I'm going to cheat here totally. One okay. of them is I want them to realize that their story actually does matter. And for all of you, your story really does, right? For those of you who think, oh, but I don't have a story or my story is not powerful enough. I'm telling you now that is wrong. I'm telling you now that is false. There are people out there that are genuinely waiting for your story. They're genuinely waiting for your combination of experiences and lessons and, and personality and everything to really speak to them. And I'll give you a good example of this is uh, I did a virtual summit um, uh, a couple of years ago. So I ran a virtual summit and one of the women that was on there shared this story about how she was fired multiple times from her job. And and she her husband walked out and it was just this kind of kind of mixture of mess. And she was sitting in her car one day and she had just been fired from that job and went to go home and realized her husband's not going to be there. And she felt like a complete and utter failure. So she shared this story and talked about the fact that she stopped at the lights burst into tears and went, I'm never going to be employed ever again. No one's ever going to want to, I'm such a loser. No one will ever want to employ me. And that was the moment where a little part of her fired up on the inside and just said, okay, are you ready to be yourself now? And she was like, whoa, and realized that there were all these women in the world that felt the same way as her. So she shared this story. I, the best piece of feedback I ever got from the summit was from a woman in Canada who heard that story and said, I realized I'm not alone. I thought I was the only one that felt like a complete failure because I'd been fired before. I felt like such a loser and like no one would ever employ me ever again. But hearing that story gave me hope and made me realize that this is not unique to me. So your story is just as powerful that, as that, right? Your story actually matters and there are people that really want to hear it. And the other piece of advice I've got is just practice, practice, practice as much as you can. Like start looking back at your life and going, okay, what are those beats? Start to map them out. What is the reason why I do what I do? Why am I so passionate about this? And start to map out that journey and look at those little stories. It will, honestly, it'll serve you so well. Mm, wow, that's awesome. All right, two things there. Uh, practice and then um, <laughs> every story matters. All right, cool. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so... Um, where, where can people find more about you and how to learn more from you? Uh, oh, man, I make it really simple. Just go to chasingtheinsights.com. So that is the home of my podcast. It's the home of my books. It's the home of uh, everywhere you can connect with me on social media. And unless you're a spammer, please do connect with me on social media. If you've got <laughs> any questions about any of this stuff, I'm always happy to give free advice. In fact, you'll see a link on my website, which is uh, book a free strategy call. And if you've got yeah. any questions about your story, about storytelling, about marketing in general, or becoming an author, just book some time with me and it's no obligation. I will help you get some clarity and give you a bit of a roadmap on where you can head with this. Wow, that is so cool. Okay, so you have a book coming up, coming up, coming soon? I have many books coming up, man. <laughs> so, um, I've, got, uh, I've got a number of my own books coming up. There's uh, one called Entrepreneurial Haiku, which is due out in a few weeks. Um, I've got uh, four other books that are going to be um, published this year of my own. 
Uh, but I'm also doing a pile of collaboration books. So these are uh, books that make it easy for you as an entrepreneur to get into the world of being a published author and becoming a best-selling author. Um, so basically, you only have to write three to 5,000 words. Uh, we bring you together with 10 other entrepreneurs, myself included, uh, and we write around a specific topic. So for example, at the moment, we've got three books in market that we're recruiting for. One of them is The Heart-Centered Entrepreneur. One of them is Screw the Hustle. So it's anti-hustle and growing culture. That'll annoy all those uh, bro marketers. And the other one yeah. is Love Your Marketing. So how to market your business authentically without being, uh, without feeling like a sellout or feeling inauthentic. Awesome. All right. So um, Vince, thank you for sharing your ideas and insights with us. Really happy to have you here. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, man. Okay. And for the listeners, I'll catch you another time. If you want to get people to buy your offer, no matter how much it costs, keep listening. The reason why entrepreneurs could not sell their offer is because they target the wrong customer. And even if they get it right, they still don't know how to sell it, right? So I put together an ebook. It shows you a step-by-step -step process on how to target the right customer, create a sales message to attract them, and get them to buy your stuff. Amazing, right? So if this is something you are looking for, you can grab it at bit.ly forward slash perfect client ebook. Again, that's bit.ly forward slash perfect client ebook. And if you don't know the spelling, the link is in the description below. Grab it now.